This podcast is brought to you by Trinity Church in Palmerston, North New Zealand, and it's called The Alamo Effect. It explores issues around the difficult seasons of our lives that we almost inevitably pass through, and offers some thoughts about how we can navigate our way through them. When I was a kid, I, I loved to read, and I loved the world of books. You could dive into all of these different stories. And, and as I grew into my teenage years, I continued to love to read. And, you could, and some of the books, you would learn things, obviously. There were books about facts and stuff that you could learn. I remember a book when I had a kid about a book about flight. And I remember learning all about how people learn how to fly. But I, I loved fiction books as well because they, you get into a whole different world just by reading words on a page, you're walking through the streets of London with Sherlock Holmes, or you're, you're on another planet somewhere. And so I, I love the world of fictional books, and, and I loved that when I was a kid and when I was a teenager. I don't get too much to, time to read fiction these days, but when I'm on holiday at Christmas, I usually try to get some fiction stuff and just really enjoy jumping into a different world for a while. The first proper book that I can remember getting was a yellow hardcover book by Enid Blyton called Shadow the Sheepdog. And I just loved that book. I read that over again, Shadow the Sheepdog and his, his, his friend Johnny, who was a little person. And they used to get into all sorts of scrapes. Every chapter, there was a new adventure. There was a new problem. There was new dangers uh, ahead. And they would, but by the end of the chapter, it was all happily ever after. You know, it was everything worked out right. You know, Johnny would win the race. They would be rescued from danger. Everything worked out just fine. And there were happy endings everywhere. And that's how it is, especially when you're small, when you read a book. It's once upon a time, and then the story is told, and then they live happily ever after. Everything has a happy ending. The good guys always win. The bad guys always lose. And everything always works out just perfectly. And that's wonderful. And... Then I read some other books, and then I got another book. I may have told you about it before because it was, this, it was a cause of some trauma for my small mind. I got a book about Davy Crockett. It was a blue hardcover book. I remember that. And I remember reading the book of Davy Crockett, and it was so similar to Shadow the Sheepdog in the sense it was about Davy Crockett and his mate called Jake, and he was the king of the wild frontier, they called Davy Crockett. He lived in the early part of the 19th century in the United States of America, and uh, was part of all of that, and he and his friend Jake were getting into all sorts of scrapes. They were fighting against the Indians, and back in those days when I was young, it was always, you know, the cowboys, the good guys, the Indians, the bad guys. You know, perspectives have changed over the years about actually how that really was, but that's how it was when I was a kid anyway. And so they would get into all sorts of scrapes, and Davy Cricket would, it doesn't matter how many engines there were, they would come out on top. He would go into a shooting contest, and he would always win. And every chapter ends with another miraculous escape and a glorious victory, and it's wonderful. And then the last chapter of the book deals with the Alamo. They're in the Alamo down there in Texas, and the Mexicans under Santa Ana are are attacking them. And once again, it was another story 
when their Davy Crockett and his friend Jake were at the Alamo facing insurmountable odds. In my little mind, I don't know how old I was, five, six, seven, somewhere around there. And I was thinking, how are they going to get out of this? It seems impossible. And I waited for the miraculous escape as I came towards the end of the book. There weren't too many pages left. I was getting down towards the end. I was excited they were going to have another fantastic escape. And it was just going to be awesome. And then I got to the last page of the book. And there they were, defending against unsurmountable odds. And then they got shot and died the end. And I was like, what? I was like, I remember as just a little boy going through the page. There's got to be more pages here somewhere. I'm missing something. Someone's torn something out. There has to be another ending. It can't be that they just die the end. Where's the miraculous overcoming? Where's the prevailing power? Where's the amazing happy ever after? And I was absolutely shocked when that happened. And I... and. I wonder sometimes, and it might not be so for you, but I think in some circumstances, we can approach our Christian lives in that same kind of way. I mean, when we came to faith, it's just, and you'll have your own stories, but it's just so incredible. You, You discover a relationship with God you never had before. You find you can pray, and there are answers to prayer, and that's incredible, you find that you have a peace that you never had before. You find that you're beginning to change. God is working in your circumstances. It's like everything's different and everything is new. And it's just, it's just a fantastic story. It was for us anyway. Not everyone's tracks the same way. But, but for us, it was just a, it was amazing. It was like Shadow the Sheepdog, you know. It was like every story was working out brilliantly well and everything was fantastic. And we thought that's every situation was just going to be awesome. I didn't believe in trials or testing or trouble or sickness. I don't know if I scarcely even believed in dying. I just thought we were going to be raptured. I never ever, ever thought we were going to die. It was kind of like I had a Shadow the Sheepdog version of Christianity in some ways. Uh, But if we are ill-prepared for difficulties, when they come, we can be like me at the end of the Davy Crockett book, like, what's happened? We're ill-prepared for trouble. But Jesus said this interesting thing in John 16, 33, which is on the screen. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. He says... In this world, you'll have trouble. I mean, that's generally probably not something that you're going to memorize and claim every day. I just claim that scripture, God. In this world, I'm going to have trouble. You know, that's not one you want to claim. But Jesus is trying to prepare the church for the reality of the fact that while we're living in this dimension, in this world as human beings before his return, we're going to face trials. We're going to face troubles. We're going to face difficulties. And I think that God wants us to become resilient Not to have a shadow the sheepdog mentality where we think everything works out fine and when something doesn't work out, we're devastated. But to have a resilience that we know that God is with us and God is for us and he's going to get us through the trouble and out to the other side. And I think God wants to build that into us. And we can certainly, and I've seen people get absolutely devastated as Christians when something's gone wrong because they thought nothing would ever go wrong. They thought there would never be trouble. Everything was going to be fine. They never saw the Alamo coming. And then one day the Alamo comes, their business goes bust. And they think, 
How can that be? They either think I've done something wrong or God's done something wrong or God doesn't even exist. Or, or, or there's a... You know, there's a financial trial or there's a health trial or a relationship break, breaks down. And it's like, I, I didn't believe this could ever happen to a Christian that when I couldn't believe, I can't believe that anything would ever go wrong. And there can be that disillusionment. And I have seen people give their faith away entirely when they've hit a trial because they just couldn't believe that that was ever going to be part of their journey. But Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And so I think building resilience, understanding that in life there will be some difficulties. You don't go looking for them. But in this world, you will face times of trouble. And to build a resilience and to know that God will be with us and will get us through it, I think is really, really important. I went to a, I don't want to give you my home medical history, but I went to a physio this last week, and she had done some post-grad work on pain management, and it was really, really interesting the way the, the brain works in relationship to pain. I didn't, I didn't really know any of this, this stuff, but the fact that pain is generated by the brain, not so much by the body. You might injure your body, and it sends a message up to the brain saying, hey, I think we have a problem here. Houston, we have a problem, you know. Uh, I've hurt my leg, and the brain goes like, wow, you'd better protect that thing. I'm just going to send some pain down there. And the brain generates the pain. And, uh, and she was telling me that with, with, with raising children, now this is not a children-raising seminar, but she talked with raising children, that if, you're, if your children fall over and hurt themselves, and as a parent you go, oh, my goodness, this is just terrible. You go, scoop little Johnny. I'm like, poor little Johnny, you've fallen over and hurt yourself. You are sending messages to Johnny that this is a disaster. This is a major problem. You've had a little fall. You've tripped over. It's a major problem, and it builds something into the brain that says a little fall is a big deal. And the, and the brain goes, I'd better generate some pain then so that, the, so that you know it, and it will generate pain. The little kid who falls out of a tree, and the parent goes, oh, nice one. And it's kind of like the kid goes like, you know, and I'm not suggesting that you, you know, that you're irresponsible as a parent, not suggesting you're irresponsible, but if you don't react big time to a hurt and you just sort of take it all in your stride, they build into their brains, oh, it's no big deal. I've just fallen out of a tree. I've just fallen over. I've scraped my knee. And apparently, if you track that through as they get older, it affects your tolerance to pain. So as an adult, you scrape your knee. Oh, it's so sore. It's just terribly sore. You know, and someone who's been brought up to be more resilient just goes like, can't feel a thing. I'm fine. And you see rugby players like that. You know, they play with broken hands and cracked ribs and stuff like that because they've got a resilience to pain. They don't actually feel as much pain as someone who's been mollycoddled or, you know, parents who are very, very, very protective. And I found that really, really fascinating. Um, and, and, and then I was kind of thinking about these things. We saw a, a TED talk about it as well from a guy lecturing in a, in a university about this thing. And it was, it was just such a, such a fascinating topic. And, uh, and I put on the telly one morning watching a bit of breakfast TV. And uh, Mark Richardson was on. Now, if 
you know, if you're, I don't know, Mark Richardson, he was a test cricketer for New Zealand. He was an opening batsman, sometimes criticised for being a little boring, but, you know, he's very effective as an opening batsman and did New Zealand proud. And when he was coming up through the ranks of um, playing cricket and he was starting to play in more senior teams, when he had a big game on, he would get really anxious, really anxious about that. And because he was anxious about his playing, he couldn't play properly, he'd get out. And so he was never selected for the New Zealand team because his anxiety affected his performance. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like that. I've been like that sometimes if I'm playing. I, I, I remember when I was, when I was young, I, 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 was playing a, I was playing a game of pool, I think it was, and I was quite, uh, I don't know, I was playing with people I didn't know, and I was just feeling a little anxious, a little self-conscious about my playing, and I couldn't hit any ball down anywhere. When the game was finished, I was playing partners with another guy, and we were doing hopeless, and we lost the game, and then after the game finished, I just picked up the cue and just sank ball after ball, because I was just relaxed. And so he was like in this situation, highly anxious. And what happens when you get anxious? You can get anxious about your anxiety. Oh, I'm anxious, and now I'm anxious about being anxious. And so your anxiety spirals out of control. I mean, I was like that as a young person. Um, when I got anxious, I didn't know even what anxiety or stress was. I'd go to church, and they would try to cast it out of me. And, and so every time I felt a bit anxious... I got anxious about my anxiety. It spun out of control to the point I'd be vomiting at night time because my anxiety was just way off the scale. And it just started off with a little anxiety and my anxiety's built from there. So here he is, Mark Richardson, failing, well, doing well, but not making the, not making the national team because of his anxiety. So he goes to a sports psychologist and he said, what, I, I need some help to overcome my anxiety. And the sports psychologist said to him, it's not your anxiety that's the problem because what's happening is you're freaking out about your anxiety. What you've got to learn is to, how to function even though you're feeling anxious. Learn to function even though there's anxiety, even though you have concerns. Learn to focus on the task and to continue to play well. He learned how to do that and made the New Zealand team and has got a great record. I thought that was really, really interesting because sometimes we go through life and we see things as huge problems. I've, I've skinned my knee, so I'm feeling big pain. I'm feeling anxious, then our anxiety spirals out of control. I'm feeling depressed. I shouldn't be feeling depressed as a Christian. This is just terrible. You know, what's wrong with me that I would be feeling down or depressed? But the fact is, is that some level of anxiety at times in our lives is quite normal. Some levels of depression in our lives is quite normal. And facing trouble in life is quite normal. What we need to do is build resilience in God so we can cope with it. So that when you get to the Alamo, you don't freak out, give up, and think it's the end of the world. Know that God is with you and he'll get you through it. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. So I just want to share a few things to consider when we're facing trouble. Here's the first one. Here's a good question to ask when you're facing trouble. Did you create it? One of the most grievous kinds of trouble that I think that we can ever face is stuff that we've created for ourselves. I hate seeing people 
or experiencing myself what I would call unnecessary suffering, unnecessary pain, because we created it. I think there's enough pain and trouble in this world without generating it ourselves. And sometimes we generate our own trouble. And it's good to sometimes stop and think, have I created my own trouble? And so if you're in a situation, if you're married today, and you, you are constantly belittling or criticizing or putting down your wife, then if you've got trouble in your marriage, like, should you be surprised? Oh, I need prayer for my marriage. But you're creating your own trouble. The power to change is in your own hands. You've created your own trouble inside your marriage. It's, that's, not for every, that's not everybody's situation, but that can happen. You're working away. You don't like your workplace. You don't think you're being paid enough. You don't think your boss is treating you well enough. You think you're better than your job. You think that you should have got the promotion, and you quit. Well, a month later, you've got no job, and you can't pay your bills. Oh, I'm in such a trial. Pray for me. Pray for me that God will provide for me. Well, he had provided for you. You quit your job, and now you're in trouble. You created it yourself. And sometimes in life, we generate and create our own trouble. Or as it says somewhere in the Old Testament, we sowed the wind and we reaped the whirlwind. You go to work and it's like everybody's picking on me at work. Well, the fact is there is bullying in the workplace. And that's a problem. And, and I think that should be addressed in any workplace if there's bullying there. Bullying in the workplace is unacceptable. And I, from time to time, tell a story about this guy because I think it's typical of a lot of guys. He was in a workplace. He said, I'm being persecuted in my workplace. He'd come for prayer on a Sunday morning. I'm being persecuted for being a Christian in my workplace. Until I spoke to a Christian workmate of his and said, he just riles everybody up. He's, he loves to aggravate people. He gets under people's skin. He just, he, he just gets... And, and he was creating his own trouble. He wasn't being persecuted for being a Christian. He was generating his own problem. So that's a good place to start. Am I, am I creating this? Is there anything that I can do to change? It may not be the case. I mean, look, there's enough trouble in this world with, without you generating it. You will be facing trouble of other kinds, I'm sure, at different times. But just good to stop and think, am I generating this and can I fix it? That's a good starting place. Second thing, I've only got three, so we're into coffee shortly. Um, this is the second thing. I would say don't don't waste. If you're going through a time of trouble, at least don't waste the experience. It's bad enough to be going through trouble, and you, you don't want to waste it. Because as we saw in a message a few weeks ago, um, it is many times in our lives, it's trouble and suffering and pain that creates change within us. In fact, I think it is probably the most powerful tool to generate internal change in our lives, a change of behavior, a change the way we speak, to change the way we are, to change our circumstances. Pain, because we hate it so much, has the capacity to change us. And so at least don't waste your experience. Pain can motivate us, can change our behavior. It, it can generate a greater capacity for empathy. And it shapes us like nothing else. One of our Bible school lecturers, as I shared, I think, earlier this year, when he was reflecting on the life of Jacob, said this, never trust a man without a limp. And what he's really saying is, 
don't trust a guy who hasn't been through some pain. Because if you haven't been through pain, if your life has just been like Shadow the Sheepdog, everything just works out hunky-dory, everything works out fine, everything's worked out for you, and everything has just been perfect, and you haven't been shaped or impacted by, cha- by pain, you haven't developed empathy for other people for the pain that they go through, you haven't developed an understanding for the questions that other people can have and the struggles and the trials that they might be going through that might be completely different to your experience. If you haven't been through some pain yourself, you can end up being a source of pain. It's just the fact of the matter. You can be a pain. The biggest pain is usually the person who's had no pain. That's just the way it is. Seminar speakers sometimes are a source of pain to pastors because everything's just worked out so swimmingly well for them. And they just tell you, follow these five simple steps. Next minute, you'll have a mega church. Every poor pastor goes, oh, oh, praise God. They rush back and put the five steps in and like nothing happens or then half the church leaves or something like that. And they're thinking, what's, what's wrong with this? What's wrong with me? What's wrong with God? And that was what was wrong with the seminar speaker. They just had a different, they were living in a different world and a different experience and they hadn't been through trouble, they hadn't been through difficulties and they had no empathy, they had no understanding, everything was shallow for them and they generated pain for all of those poor Christians who were trying to follow their advice and then were dismayed when the answers didn't come like they were meant to. So pain is a valuable, although an uncomfortable thing to experience in our lives. So at least when you're going through a time of pain, don't waste it. Allow it to shape you and allow it to change you. Allow it to develop empathy for other people. And then develop a sense of care for others who are going through pain. Don't give them glib answers. Don't make it sound like it's all so easy. It's all so black and white. It's all so straightforward. Because life is not easy, black and white, or straightforward. Life is complicated and at times difficult. It's just the way life is at times. Third thing, reckon on God being with you to get you through it. When you're going through a time of trouble, when you're in your Alamo and you're thinking, oh, what am I going to do here? Trust that God is with you and he will get you through it. Psalm 46.2, you'll know it well, I'm sure. It says, God is our refuge and strength. He's an ever-present help in time of trouble. It says in the Psalms, he's an ever-present help in time of trouble. In other words, God goes looking for trouble. Not to make it, but he looks for people who are in trouble. And you read through the the story of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, you see God turning up in times of trouble like nothing else. He's He's just wired like that. He looks for the ones who are crushed because he wants to lift them up. He looks for the ones who are down and out because he wants to encompass them in his love. God looks for people who are going through hard times because he wants to, he is wired to pour healing grace and restoration inside of people. And he's an ever present help in time of trouble. And I think you can be sure that as one of God's kids, if you're going through trouble, that God is with you in it. Now, he might fix your trouble like that. Sometimes I've prayed and trouble has just gone away. Or I've been sick and I've prayed, the sickness has gone away. Sometimes it's like that, but sometimes it isn't. Sometimes you have to go through the trouble. We wish it wasn't like that. We want it to be shadow the sheepdog, not the Alamo. We don't want to have to go through it. But if we do have to go through it, if we haven't created it ourselves, 
And if we pray into it and it doesn't go away and we make some adjustments and we're still going through a trial, then at least you can count on the fact that God will be with you in the trouble. He's an ever-present help in time of trouble. I'm, I'm glad about that because God is not small. God is not weak. He is big enough to get us through anything. And he will build the resilience in you that you need to get you through what you're going through. Uh, it says in 1 Corinthians 10, I suppose it's specifically talking about temptation there, but I think the principle is true that it says that God won't let you go through anything that he will not give you the strength to get through. God's just wired like that. So you can trust that if you're in a difficult time, he will give you the resilience, he'll give you the strength, he'll give you the wisdom, he'll give you the grace to get you through. So you don't have to freak out, you don't have to panic, you don't have to give up on your faith, you don't have to, you can just kind of relax inside of knowing that God will get you through it. When I talked about when I was younger with the, 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 the kind of anxiety slash panic attacks I would have, there were two things that really helped me to get through that. One was understanding just how big God was. Understanding that when Jesus is with me, I don't have to be in control of everything because he is and it's going to be okay. Just to know that God is big enough and that he's with me was enough to bring a lot of peace into my life. Because sometimes when you're feeling anxious or you're going through difficulties, it's like you can try to control everything. And I realized I don't have to control everything to be okay because Jesus is the one who's got all authority on heaven and on earth. And because of that, ah, I can relax inside of that. That was a real key for me. The other thing that was a key for me is, was not to get anxious about my anxiety. When I got anxious, instead of getting anxious about it, I just thought, oh, it'll be fine. I feel a little anxious, it'll be all right. And then instead of building and building and building till I vomited, my anxiety would just ebb away. I'll go, well, God, when I was fighting it, it was growing. When I stopped worrying about it, it went away. Who knew? I couldn't believe it. Actually, I got that advice out of a woman's weekly. <laughs> it was on the smoko table at work. What? You should get the woman's weekly, man. It's good advice in there. I couldn't believe it. I was a Christian. I was fighting this thing, and I was praying, and people were casting it out. Uh, one thing that helped me was divine revelation and the other thing was the Woman's Weekly. Go figure. But I think God, I think God was in both of them, helping me giving, me, giving me keys, giving me clues, finding a way. Because no Christian was going to tell me that. In, my, in the scene I was in, no Christian was going to tell me that. It took the Woman's Weekly. So thank the Lord for that. 2 Corinthians 1, 8-9. Here's Paul going through a hard time. He's going through a hard time. He says, he says this. We don't want you to be in the dark, friends. This is the message version, I think. We don't want you to be in the dark, friends, about how hard it was when all of this came down on us in Asia province. It was so bad, we didn't think we were going to make it. We felt like we'd been sent to death row, that it was all over for us. As it turned out, Paul says it was the best thing that could have ever happened. Instead of trusting in our own strength or wits to get out of it, we were forced to trust God totally. Not a bad idea, since he's the God who raises the dead. So Paul's saying, man, we're going through this hard time. And I was freaking out. I was thinking we're not going to get through this. I was thinking we can't cope. 
And then instead of trusting in our own capacity to control the circumstance or our own wisdom to get us through it, we decided to completely trust God. And we put all of our hope and all of our trust in God to get us through because we believed that He was with us and He was for us. He was going to work everything for good. He was never going to leave us. He was never going to forsake us. And He was somehow going to get us through. We didn't know how, but somehow He would. We put all of our hope and our trust in Him. He says, actually, that was not a bad idea because he's the one who raises the dead. And Paul goes on to say, it was like, man, it was like he raised us to life. He did get us through it. We did come through the other side. And he came through the other side of his trial with more faith and with more confidence and with a more relaxed spirit than on the other side of the trial. He came out better instead of worse. He didn't come out all kind of like, you know, you see the cartoons when someone goes through a bad accident, they go through a fire or an explosion and there's, you know, all the hairs frizzled or a steamroller goes over them and they're all flattened out or, you know, they didn't, he didn't sort of come out looking like, oh, I'm absolutely had it. He came out stronger than when he went in because something happened in the trial that built his faith and encouraged him and he knew that God was big enough just to get him through it. And I think we can be confident that God will get us through our times of trouble and that somehow he works everything together for good and has the capacity to bring some triumphs out of tragedies. It's just the way God is. But it's probably good to reflect on the fact also that God's plan for your life is not just restricted to this life. There's a lot more beyond how long do we get to live for? Some people die young, some people die old. If you're doing really well, you might die in your 90s. The old person gets over 100, not very many. So we're just here for a season. We're just here for a time. Like this is in Ecclesiastes. There's a time to be born. There's a time to die. We only live in this life for a season. But there is a lot more to be lived in the future. And the fact is, as Jesus says, in this world, we are going to have some times of trouble. We'll probably never come to a time when there is no trouble, where there is no stress, where there is no difficulties, where there's no anxieties, where there's no moments of depression. We'll probably never reach a point where we reach some sort of perfection in this life, where all of our circumstances, all of our situations, and all of our internal world, everything is just like perfect. There's no ultimate kind of promised land that we're going to enter into where we've, we've reached perfection in this life. Because in this life, you have some trouble. But there is an age to come. And everything that we read about the age to come sounds pretty spectacular to me. We've talked about it recently. Peter calls it the restoration of all things. Uh, I think in the first part of Revelation 21, it talks about a time coming when God is once more going to walk on this earth and he's going to walk with us and be our God and there's going to be no more tears and there's going to be no more pain and there's going to be no more death and there's going to be no more suffering. It's kind of like the times of trouble are one way or another going to come to an end. There is a happily ever after at the end of the story. Whether you get one for every situation you're facing in this life, I don't know. Sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. Life is just the way it unfolds. But what we do know is there is a happy ever after. It's called the restoration of all things. A day when there's no more pain, no more suffering, and troubles are 
over for good. That is not a fantasy like a fictional novel. It is a sure thing and something that we can look forward to. And knowing that can give us some encouragement when we're going through times of trouble. Paul talked to himself like that, encouraged him. He says this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. What he's saying is all of the hardships that he went through, they're just a light momentary affliction. He, didn't, he wasn't one who would skin his knee and go, ah, major problem. He was like, everything that he went through, all of the troubles, it's a light momentary affliction. He's saying, because something better is coming. I can handle this because A, God will get me through it, and B, there's something better coming. And it built into Paul this tremendous resilience to get through anything that life threw at him. So to finish, the old Alamo is part of life, unfortunately. But God does want us to know that he's with us and it's going to be okay. And our job in this broken world is to also be there for others who are facing their own Alamo experience. Because there are people all around us who are facing Alamos. When things are going wrong, businesses are going bust, relationships are breaking down, people are facing sickness and all sorts of problems. People, are, people have got anxiety or mental health issues. People are, people are facing Alamos all around us. Sometimes people in church, sometimes people in our workplace, sometimes people in the wider world. And, and we are meant to be at least a resource to help other people, that our own personal Alamos will open up our minds and our thinking to realize, man, other people are going through stuff as well. And we know it's not easy because we've been through our own, but we've got some help through it. And we want to be a resource to help others who are going through their own Alamo experience. But it's also encouraging to know, and I think Shadow the Sheepdog and Johnny got this right, that the idea of happily ever after is not just a fairy tale, but it's actually a sure thing. 